Welcome to this session of Conversations with Drs. Dean Busby and Shalom Levitt, where we will talk about sexual intimacy within marriage. Well, welcome, Dean. We are here together to talk about another topic. And uh, I think today what we decided we wanted to talk about was getting comfortable understanding our bodies, understanding how we talk about our bodies and our partner's body. And so I think the first question I'd like to start off with is, if you didn't grow up in an atmosphere where you used the right terminology, um, how can you get comfortable with these words and, and talking about our body in a comfortable way? Boy, it, it is... Um... You know, I, I, there, it, there's just going to be a certain degree of hesitancy, I think, in referring to body parts, and, you know, yeah. especially sexual body parts. And I just don't know of another way of getting comfortable than just almost forcing yourself to <laughs> repeatedly say them. There's an opportunity when you marry, I think, because you're starting to experience nudity, hopefully, in a more comfortable way with your partner, with another person. And so then it's sort of like an opportunity to transition to a place of more openness about bodies and talking about them more. But I think a lot of couples don't take that opportunity. Yeah. And so then they find themselves 10 or 15 years into marriage and they still can't use like, you know, I don't like you when you touch me there. Well, where is there? And what specifically are you talking about? And, and so I think you almost have to run through a series of exercises of just naming body parts, saying them for a period of a few weeks or months until the words are, are comfortable for you and even then if you stop saying them they become It'll be there'll be a, a pause uncomfortable again yeah um, I guess as I was thinking about it I thought I like the idea of just saying it right you just have to say it out loud so you hear yourself saying it but if that's too much maybe you could just even write it down at first write down vagina and penis and then say it out loud maybe even in the mirror mm -hmm. so it looks like you're you know talking to somebody and then maybe say it to your spouse mm -hmm. which will be even more challenging i think you're right it's a huge problem when during that interaction that sexual interaction you can't actually specifically talk about where mm -hmm. you're referring to but i think it's also important when you talk to your kids Right. And that's going to come, you know, not too long after you're married, mm -hmm. most likely within mm -hmm. five or 10 years. And so if you can't talk to your kids about what their body parts are, mm -hmm. you're just perpetuating. Yeah, the that's a good point. When you have children beginning anew to use proper labels and talk openly about lies, you know, that drawing exercise we do in class where you. Yeah. You draw a body, and it's it's so fascinating to watch <laughs> so students hard. freak out. <laughs> I used to make them draw themselves. Oh, and that was even more threatening. Yeah, and and then I said, now we know we're going to draw an eight-year-old boy, a body. eight-year-old girl, a, a woman, an adult man. Yeah, and uh, put them side by side, and then talk, you know, role play talking, and it's so difficult for them. And I asked them what is difficult, and they say, well, it is this pornography, you know. So exactly. just an idea of a of a stick draw, or not stick drawing, but you know, a simple drawing, like way less detailed than you would see in a medical text. <laughs> is still so threatening to them emotionally, which says a lot about our separation from our bodies. Yeah. Just a lot. And it's really, it, it's always a sad day for me, frankly. It's a sad day in class that, that we're so separated from our bodies that, you know, I put it up, I say, isn't that a beautiful body, boy and the girl? Isn't it nice that we have these bodies? Mm -hmm. and I sort of say how I would be talking to my children to them. And uh, it's just, it's just a sad day. And there's so far to go. You know, there's there's exercises you I know you've read them as well as I have in books where they tell you to get in front of a mirror without clothes on and sort of 
go through and talk out loud about your body parts, look at them, be comfortable with them right. and, and do the same with your partners. Boy, those are, those, those are probably pretty, pretty difficult exercises. Yeah. I wonder yeah. how many people do that. And I think more so for women, just because we're socialized differently and everything is much more private, right? Boys are born touching their penis and mm-hmm. and so it's much more familiar to them at least and yet they still use silly names yeah all kinds of made-up names and you know a recent study that we just did with the top of scale which evaluates their comfort with their bodies yeah. and their genitals the women were higher on needs for both comfort meaning they they were less disgusted with um, their genitals and they were more comfortable <laughs> with and so I thought, hmm, this oh. idea that men are more comfortable it may not be true. Yeah. And it, I mean, it may be this piece. We know that fathers talk to children much less. They say they're more comfortable right. on attitudinal things and more willing to talk to children, but then they never do. Interesting. Um, it may yeah, be like that, that men are actually more have a have a more difficulties talking about it and so i started pondering that i don't really know why mm-hmm. men would be more have more trouble with that but well we'll have to investigate that in yeah. our in our next study well let's go to this next question because that's it's related to what you're just introducing is what do we do when someone has to overcome body shame whether it's us or our partner how do we approach that I mean, I think there's, um, you know, that that little video clip that I show, I think you've probably seen the one about the woman that comes out in the TED Talk and shares about mm-hmm. your, and point, starts pointing at people, say, you're ugly, you have oh. freckles, that kind of stuff, just sort of. I think I have seen that. Yeah, yeah. and I, I really like that because you can feel how jarring it would be yeah. to have somebody point out your flaws in a, in a public way. And then you start thinking, I do that to myself. Yeah. And everybody does that to themselves. Why yeah. is that okay for us? And I so I think a lot of the beginning place is the cognitive therapy idea which is you got to catch what you're saying to yourself about your body and you have to stop that you have Mm -hmm. to substitute a better it's great to have a body doesn't matter how it looks the body is wonderful because what it can do and feel and experience not because of some idea you know you have to just start reprogramming your thinking and treat yourself internally like you would want others to treat you externally that you wouldn't want them to be pointing out your flaws in your body and you would consider it offensive and and that's the beginning place i think but a lot of people it's not really even it's pretty hard to even identify the thoughts because it's an automatic feeling yeah they they see themselves in a the mirror or something and they just sort of feel yucky and um, and so there's something about they're just overall feeling about their body that's pretty shame-based so it's harder to get a hold of those those thoughts and in those instances i think you have to just start saying the positive things about your body and that will eventually help you identify the things behind that that are getting in your way the things that you're thinking automatically almost so say the things about i really appreciate my body you know in in a sense of our our culture the spiritual sense i think you have to begin by expressing appreciation to god for the for your body all the time like not only that it's healthy but that you have one and that it can feel and touch and smell and see and all of the aspects of our bodies that are so astonishingly wonderful and just run through this this series of appreciations to god for a body and if you can get your mind in the appreciation framework 
then um, then the shame is harder to overwhelm you, I think, and sort of take over as you compare your body to others. That's where the shame is so often yeah. stimulated as you see something, uh, someone that makes you feel insecure about yourself. Right, um, which I guess that brings up the idea of be really wary of social media and yeah. media in general. I think that's one thing. I guess that I have to, you know, kind of be a little vulnerable here myself, because I think the first thing that you have to do that you suggested is, you know, stop hiding Mm -hmm. from the reality that you are shaming yourself, Mm -hmm. right? That you feel this shame about your body. And I would have to be one of the first ones to raise my hand. If someone said, have you gone through that? Have you struggled with that? Yes, absolutely. Still do. And, and so I'm listening to all of these things you're suggesting and I know they're right. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to do it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to sit there and say, oh yeah, I feel terrible about how I look, but I'm really grateful that I'm healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you can go through that practice, but I think, you know, it's going to take some real intentionality and slowing your thoughts down to, to make that stick. Mm-hmm. That's a hard thing to yeah. do. Yeah. I really appreciated my own children, my own daughters, because I would say something about myself like, oh, hate how I look in that. Mm. And they would challenge me and they would say, honestly, why do you think Mm -hmm. that? Um, So I think that's an important thing for us to do with our friends or, you know, certainly ourselves, and just challenge what it is we're criticizing. Mm -hmm. Why is that that Mm -hmm. we're so negative? Yeah. And it's so, it's, it's, it's so many levels. I mean, I, I do think that there is a spiritual injury thing that happens pretty fast with us when we do that to ourselves that, and if you, if you get, if you get a little bit more mindful and sensitive to that, you can feel the earliest parts of it, that little right. bit of disapproval. And, and then it, it's like this, this feeling that you would feel if you criticize somebody you care about, you know, automatically you'd feel, you'd see it in their face. You'd see that you'd hurt them. Mm-hmm. You'd see that oh, I didn't want to say it that way. I no, I didn't mean to criticize. You know, and so you would immediately begin mm-hmm. to try to repair that and and say that and recover from that. And so it's it's getting that first little bit of disapproval that you have for your body. And because as you say, so many things trigger it in yeah. our, in our day to day life um, as the ideals float around us. Then catching that and and reversing that is and and I, I do think this spirit will will help you be sensitive to that and just as the spirit will help you be sensitive to your ways of injuring other people and it, it, it is people who have come through this they talk about this liberating place of acceptance and appreciation of themselves and for the first time that that somehow we get divorced from our bodies that mm-hmm. i mean i'm in here somewhere and the real me is in here the body is just sort of this covering whereas i think at some point you have to be at this place where I, I appreciate every inch of this physicality that I have in whatever shape and form it is. And I really am grateful for it. And I really love it. You have to love, love your body, I think, at some level. And then, and then what I tell students is that you shift from taking care of your body. You shift to taking care of your body rather than look at pursuing some ideal. That is the, that is the shift internally, mm-hmm. too. So it's, I think it starts with appreciation and then it goes to, I really do love and appreciate my body and I want to take care of it. Like mm-hmm. I would a precious thing, my mother heirloom hand down to me. I would want to take care of it. I would want right. to keep it clean and in good shape and not for 
reaching an ideal because I feel such a love for it that I want it to, to endure. I want it to last. I want it to be healthy. And then once you're pursuing health instead of an ideal you know, way you should look, it's so much easier yeah. to say, yeah, I don't need that food because I don't feel good when I eat that rather than I'm going to, I'm going to gain weight and then I'm going to look right. fat. No, 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 no. It's, so I'm going to punish it's, myself by yeah, not yeah, exactly. having it or running an extra yeah, three miles. It, it's just that I, I want to take care of this again. I know when I eat that kind of stuff, I feel, ugh. Right. And it, and, uh, and so that's the, that's the shift that has to happen. It's a long-term lifelong struggle who, who, who is not always sort of bouncing around with this problem you know yeah I mean I think it's very common and I think that the more we talk about it openly the less shame we feel over the fact that we may feel that way and and find ways and find people who are supportive of you know this healthy perspective of just taking care of my body Mm -hmm. not punishing myself or you know withholding but instead you know being a kind friend to your Mm -hmm. body yeah, yeah. And and for me, what that has also included is creating boundaries of who I listen to mm. and the messages I listen to. So, you know, you can start to notice a movie or an advertisement mm. or just any or a friend who starts kind of obsessing on these ideals. And, you know, it can trigger something in you yourself. So I think one way that I've found is just by making really firm boundaries about who I listen to mm-hmm. and what messages I listen to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's important, isn't it? Sort of picking up on certain pathways that get you down a bad place. Yeah. Um, the other thing about bodies, I think in terms of, se- I think sexuality could again be a natural way to shift some of our views because if a, co- a person who's confident with their body, who's confident in their body, regardless of how it looks, but just sort of enjoys their body, yeah. they're so much more relaxed and able to be themselves sexually and enjoy the attractive elements of sexuality. And, you know, to be honest, we all know that our partners aren't aren't blind to our flaws, physical mm-hmm. flaws, but they're attracted to us. Right. And that is could have a power for us to appreciate that there's a person in this world that loves my body and I can have fun with my body with that person. And that should be an empowering place that can sort of free you from, I mean, what's the point of having having a body look a certain way? I mean, the whole pressure in society is so that you can attract the opposite sex well you have attracted somebody if you're in a sexual relationship with them and um, your body is attracted to them just as it is and that could be a freeing thing for you to hold on to and appreciate and to be confident with and then a confident person is so much more attractive yeah right 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 and i i i like what you're saying about sex help helping us maybe put looks and the shape or fitness of our body in perspective, right? Someone is attracted to who you are, body included, and uh, that should be reassuring. Mm -hmm. It could be reassuring anyway, and maybe help you start rethinking some of these unrealistic expectations you have Uh around how your body should look. Yeah. I remember I had a number of years ago, my wife and I, we had these friends, these were very large people. They were 
three to 400 pounds, very, very large people. And she was very, very confident person and very fun to be around, mm-hmm. just a fun person. Yeah. And at one point she let slip, well, I don't really care how I look to care anybody else because I know my husband can't keep his hands off me when I, you know, and, <laughs> oh, and so, you know, it's just such nice. a beautiful little thing. Yeah. Like, they knew, they knew they fit, they were attractive. It didn't matter their size and shape. It was just really a beautiful thing. Right. I wish we could all hold on to that. Yeah, a lot to learn from other people who, who have the confidence there. So what if your spouse is uncomfortable talking openly about their body, male or female, right? How, how can we help them become more comfortable in really discussing some of these personal very specific things that we need to in sexuality. It's funny. My, I, I, it flashed me back to when I got married, I had an older sister. She's 18 years older than I am. She's one of the people I talked to right before getting married about, you know, how to negotiate the sexual part of marriage. And, and you know, I wasn't experienced. And she, she disclosed in that conversation that it's so, she says, it's been a struggle for me to ever feel comfortable talking about this. My husband is much more comfortable and he's always been frustrated with my inability to sort of just talk about this and but he but he keeps making me and I think it you know it kind of works and I mean I don't know about making somebody but you know I I mean I think at some level you can just ask very specific questions of your partner knowing that they're less comfortable than you are and just ask about different things you do or want to do or have done or uh, different aspects of their body what they enjoy and and in some regards it's sort of like giving a multiple choice question instead of an essay (laughs) yeah you know, you can kind of just say, option. well, what about when I touch this, <laughs> you know, and just name the body part. Of, and uh, and so it facilitates that. I mean, I don't know how much you should enable that, but at some point you have to accept that a lot of it is that shyness factor, isn't it? And uh, and I, I say this to students a lot, you're going to have shy kids and no matter what you do, they're going to just struggle. Yeah. with this topic because yeah. they're shy and uh, it's a threatening mm-hmm. topic it's a vulnerable topic so I, you know at some level I think just leading it along as the person more comfortable in in being more of a multiple choice person I like that short answer yeah that's good for sure we just got to take it slowly and, and be gentle you know I, I, like you said I don't think we can make people do it but we certainly can push a, mm-hmm. a little more to help them and and maybe communicate that this is a need that you have to talk about these things openly and feel like this isn't a taboo topic mm-hmm. between the two of you mm-hmm. that you could you know talk about that I would like to have more discussion and maybe that would give your partner some courage to talk about it. I've wanted to do a daily diary study for years, just have probably never get to it because it's so difficult to do where I just asked them over a period of about two weeks to a month, what specifically they they talk about regarding sex. And my the reason I want to do this, because I suspect they talk very, very, very little. Mm-hmm. That the typical couple, even in reasonably good relationships, mm-hmm. just do, it's just not talked about. Interesting. And uh, that there's a very, very small group of people that have the topic of sexuality that is quite open and that they're very uniquely um, optimal in the sense of some of the things we've read in research. But it's a very, very small group. And I want to understand that group a little bit better. Like, what is it that, that helps them just sort of 
bring in that sexuality as an open topic like any other topic they need to have. Because I suspect that most couples skirt around that and just sort of hint a lot and that it generally is very, very seldom discussed and, and openly talked about. And, and, and I think that's a lost opportunity. Yeah, that'd be a great study. I, I know you have heard this story before. I've heard it a number of times. Some therapist, a couple was struggling to communicate about even when to have sex, how to initiate sex. And so the idea was, well, just put this little statue mm. on the mantle. Mm -hmm. And that means, hey, I'm open for sex. And I just thought, to me, that felt unfortunate. Yeah. Like, really, like, we can't even be open enough to like, say, hey, you up for snuggling tonight, uh -huh. you know, with air quotes or something, <laughs> or, or something that actually yeah. verbally, we could communicate that that's something that we're open to. And so I, I, I think maybe at least what I would suggest that listeners try if your partner is so shut down about this is to, like you said, maybe just push their boundaries a little occasionally mm -hmm. and maybe multiple choice at first, mm -hmm. uh, but then say, this is something that's important to me. Would you consider kind of, you know, growing a little, coming outside your comfort mm -hmm. zone and and maybe even initiating a conversation about it. Mm -hmm. I'd have to think that there's probably two layers of reluctance to discuss sexuality. One is that the words, the vocabulary aren't there because they never have been in their life. They didn't have mm -hmm. a decent sex education. And then and, and then it's a vulnerable sort of place. You know, this this is the same sort of issue, I think. And so there's just a avoidance. The other, I think, is that there may be some fear that that if a partner wants to talk about sex, it's because they're disappointed or they're frustrated, or it's going to result in my mm -hmm. feeling bad about myself. So let's yeah. let's avoid the topic. And either one of those, I think, in the, in the long run will be damaging to the relationship. I think that you're avoiding the vulnerability, which is, of course, an opportunity for some real connection. And then the other is, if you sense that, yeah, there's some disappointment or frustrations or difficulties there, well, it's better to get that stuff out and move into it rather than just keep dancing around it, I think. The sooner the better. Okay, the next question. Let's see if this even is a different question that seems pretty similar. From a man's perspective, how can I, how can a man know about his wife, his wife's body and how she functions if she's really closed emotionally about sex and feels uncomfortable talking about her own arousal? And, and I guess I have to say, just even asking that question, I don't think it's just women mm -hmm. who are closed. Mm -hmm. I don't either. Uh, and so it, it's, it is very similar to the previous question, but it seems more specific in the sense that it's about this process. I mean, as, as, as we know, you have to figure out a successful arousal sequence and process mm -hmm. in, in each relationship. You yeah. have to figure that out. And so I think it's at, at some level, you have to get a commitment from each other that you're just going to pound through that process, that some of the sexual encounters that you have will need to be broken down yeah. very specifically, maybe even paused yeah. as you learn. And it doesn't matter if that particular experience isn't as fulfilling because you're learning about each other. It's not right. about reaching some level of excitement and breaking it down and working through it, finding out where the process isn't moving forward. There's going to be some kind of hangups. Yeah. There's going to be some part of that experience where the arousal process gets stuck. And it's because typically there's 
overstimulation or understimulation. It's usually one of those two. Right. And not enough variety. And, you know, so, so overstimulation meaning the same thing for a period of time until the skin gets irritable right. or whatever. Or understimulation, not enough, or lack of variety in stimulation. Yeah. So you've got those variables you've got to figure out. Right. And only one person knows them, and that's just they have that secret in them. And they and right. so I, I mean at some point, I think you just have to say, look, we can have a better sexual experience, but we're gonna have to break this down. Yeah. We're gonna have to walk through it. Pause. Is this working? What about this specifically yeah. isn't working? Help <laughs> me out here, please. I can see someone just taking a real scientific approach. Yeah, you know? yeah. Just and just like writing times. down even what yeah. you know, this is what happened, and here's where we seem to have uh-huh. a disconnect. And uh-huh. there's a tangled mess that we can't figure out. And maybe it's something emotional, right? Uh-huh. Maybe there's an underlying relational yeah. issue that it when may this not be mechanical, happens, it's a great yeah. point. It may be when that when that gets there it's too intense for me and i go yeah and why is it too intense well maybe there is some trauma around a particular way of doing something that reminds them of that right maybe it's just it could even be outside the relationship right it could be something that happened some message that i got in my childhood Mm -hmm. and i just seem to think of it every time we get to this point yeah whatever something yeah whatever it is it's what's the hang-up what's the challenge Mm. um and uh you know it, it's you, you you really have to do that about a lot of things in in your marriage not just sex <laughs> i mean something yeah. will break down in the way you manage money together that's the other big thing yes. that breaks down yeah. in marriage and it's because you're not just stopping and going look i got I, what keeps happening here and what we talk about this right. but it still gets out of control yeah what's going on you know you have to just break it down and so uh mm. I, I think you have to have that level of commitment to say i recognize it's not working let's slow down and let's dissect this a little bit yeah which is really why sex is such a beautiful part of relationships of of a committed loving marriage is that sex tells us so much about what we are what we value how we behave outside of that small interaction Mm -hmm. um i it's something esther perel says that always plays through them my mind is tell me what kind of lover you are and I'll tell you what kind of person you are, Mm. right? Here's where we have just a microscope put on Mm -hmm. our core values and and our ideas about how we treat people and Mm ourselves and all of that combined. And so we have to untangle it as it it meets, you know, cold, hard facts that don't line up with a good experience. Yeah. I mean, as you were talking, I said, yeah, that's that's a great comment that there are our unique weaknesses and strengths get woven into our sexual relationships so yeah. fast. And what a great opportunity, what a great place. It's the fun place to sort of the play place to act through this mm-hmm. and move a little bit in it could be um, a mechanism to really free up some other parts of your life too, in the sense of you feel more confident, you work through this, have more trust, have good support. Um, yeah, it was a challenge. Yeah, it was hard to do, uh, but it was worth it. And now I feel I can take on some other things in my life. And so, I mean, it could be a really core mechanism for growth. That's great. You know, even out, outside of sex, right? Our bodies are so core to us experiencing relationships and 
emotions, most yeah. especially. I guess that's what I think of, that emotions we wouldn't really register like we do yeah. without a body. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, it, we're in the middle of COVID, Shalom. And it's like, it's there's almost not a day that goes by where I don't appreciate breath. Just because mm. I have so many people I know that can't breathe well anymore. Yeah, it's just like, I never thought about breath. Mm. You know, a little bit when I do some mindful stuff, but not in the sense of... Yeah. I can I can breathe and my lungs don't hurt. You know, I can get the air I need and uh, it's good to have clean air, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It just sort of like if we can't get to where we can appreciate a body that is working and enjoy a life when we feel good in the middle of an epidemic like this, a pandemic. I don't know if we're ever going to get to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, it just it's I, I felt so strongly week after week, month after month. Thank you. My body is still healthy and yeah. can still enjoy the feelings that I don't feel like all I have to do is manage pain. And I just, you know, we've right. all been sick and right. we've, we've all had people we love being chronically sick. And it's just, it turns your whole life upside down. And so every moment of health, every moment to be able to feel and touch and, and appreciate the joys of a healthy body are something to behold and something to appreciate. And, and every time our family members are in that place, um, you know, they're not ill too, is just double the appreciation. Yeah. I've been feeling it all the time Interesting. in the last six months or so. Yeah. Each new wave of COVID. Oh, we got through that one. And <laughs> nobody's down for the long haul, yeah. you know, and, um, and that's, that's, uh, yeah. Well, you're quite mindful. So, I mean, I think that that comes naturally to you to, and, and so it's no surprise to me that just breath would be something that you're so grateful for, because really our breath even just like can calm us in a moment. Mm. You know, I think of slowing my breath is really how I kind of you manage the anxiety of, a, of you know, some events. Mm. 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 And that's through your body. Yeah. You know? I guess the thing that comes to mind for me is when I had my second child, and it's interesting, right? When we have this lecture on pregnancy, one of the first questions I start off with is, you know, why do women talk about pregnancy so much or having babies? And it's <laughs> yeah. really, I think at the bottom line is it changes our life, yeah. you know, it changes, changes who we are physically. And uh, so I was having my second child, Danielle, and it was a brutal delivery, but I did it. My body did it. Mm. I delivered this child into the world. And I just remember feeling this elation that my body had worked so hard to, to give this child life, not only for nine months, but right there at this critical time. Mm. And I was really proud of myself. And yet my body was wrecked. Yeah, I mean, I was wrecked from so many things that had occurred. And um, I remember just kind of trying to composed myself a little. And my doctor leaned over to me and said, this child will know what you've done for her. Mm. And that has stayed with me, right? She's, she's 30 years old this year. And I've just thought she really does know. Mm. I mean, as she's now pregnant with her second, and we've thought about this gift that women's bodies give to everyone, mm -hmm. right? To, to sacrifice those nine months of comfort and, and then to go through this really risky process of delivering a mm -hmm. child. And then you have that relationship forever. 
Mm -hmm. right? So it's like our my body created this relationship with each of my children, uh, whether I delivered them or not. Right. And uh, so I, I think that's one thing that if I start to feel body shame, like mm -hmm. I do, mm -hmm. um, I just think, you know what, I have an amazing capacity because of my body to have these relationships that are powerful and tender. And so that's, a, that's one reason I think we really need to come to grips with loving our bodies. Yeah. And, and as you talked, it made me think of as we age and we go through these experiences that are very difficult for our bodies, like pregnancy and, and like illness and like injuries yeah. and, and all, it recovers to a really amazing degree. I mean, it really yeah. does a pretty amazing job at doing its best to get us back to a place where we can enjoy life. It's such an amazing thing. Yeah, I mean, each person probably has quite a number of events where they've had a problem functioning physically and then all of a sudden it's you've come out of that place and yeah. you feel the first time like you can eat food and not worry about how you yeah. react to it or you you can run and your ankle doesn't hurt anymore right. and, you, and it's just like this beautiful recovery process that the body is telling us you can recover you can recover emotionally you can recover spiritually mm -hmm. and and the and in 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 the long run it to me is the best signal about eternal life that there's a there's an element in that that is really this the, the metaphor for eternity and that is you know we're going to recover recover mm. we're going to have at some place this body that never gets ill and never stumbles again mm -hmm. and, and this is all a reminder of the gifts of resurrection and, and mm. life and life eternal and all that and um it's trying to get you interested in that like i would <laughs> i would love to be at that place and as i get older i of course look to the resurrection a lot more longingly because i lose capacities in yeah. a lot of ways but at the same time it's even you know no matter how old you are you your body still my my mother-in-law falls all the time mm. major injuries and she's such a stalwart person she gets going I'm gonna get over this and I'm gonna recover and she doesn't complain and I'm just amazed at how her body at 85 you know recovers from a broken back and a broken wow. this and a that and yeah. all these injuries and she just comes back and it's like wow there is a resilience to us that if yeah. if nothing else should teach us that we want to improve we want to recover bodies are amazing they are really amazing I break things all the time, physical things, and mm -hmm. it's broken. Yeah, it doesn't it. mend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you break a finger, it generally comes around. You yeah. know, it, it does its best. Yeah, with patience, right? With just some some kindness to ourselves, we can mend. Yeah, oh, that's a beautiful story about that childbirth. I, I I'm looking for. I I I love the outdoors and no matter what season it is i love going outside and just feeling outside mm -hmm. i love the cold in the mornings mm -hmm. you know, I, just, I don't have to want to live in the cold all the time but i just <laughs> just wakes me up and i breathe it in and it feels so refreshing and, and i love the mountain the air and i love the sunsets and i love all of those things that you can hear as you walk in nature and I just love those things so much. It's it's uh, such a gift to have a body, such a gift. So beautifully said. Thank you, Dean, as always. So nice to visit with you. That's it for this week. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Sexual Mindfulness Project and subscribe to our website, shalomlevitt.com. 
to stay up to date with the latest information on sexual mindfulness. Thanks for listening.